last month we kicked off, we started off reading Matthew chapter 16 um, and um, as we kicked off this new thing called Bush Disciples, I started out with every intent of focusing on discipleship but I very quickly realised that discipleship doesn't make any sense at all unless we know who we're disciples of. Uh, so we were asking the question last, last month, uh, who is Jesus? Because if Jesus was just a man, well, it doesn't make any sense to be a disciple of him 2,000 years later. If he was just somebody who just had a bit of nice teacher, if he was just a nice guy, but if he was a bloke who just lived and died and that's it, well, it makes no sense at all. But the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Chosen One, the Holy One of God, the fact that Christ is eternal... The fact that he calls us, you and I, mortal men and women, out of our destiny of death to the destiny of eternal life, well, when you believe that, then it makes perfect sense to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, as a bit more of a recap on last month, uh, we saw that it's not through our own cleverness or some strange twist of fate that we come to believe in Jesus Christ. Believing... And knowing, your heart, knowing in your heart that Jesus is the Christ is not a human feat. It is a gift from God. It's a blessing. So if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord has truly blessed you. Now we also saw that with that blessing comes responsibility. Disciples of Jesus carry with them the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This, this faith that we have in Jesus are those keys that we're talking about, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And by sharing our faith with those who are lost, when they then believe what we've told them, that is the keys unlocking them from their bondage to sin and death. So we have the responsibility to be active disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that was last month's message in a nutshell. I could have saved a whole lot of time if I just said that last week. Um, So in Matthew 16, that's where Peter has just announced that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus says, who does people say the Son of Man is? And then he says, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. And and, um, this is where we now pick it up from verse 21. Yep, okay. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever loses his life for me will find it. Sorry, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels 
and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we encounter your word today, help us to understand it. Help us to have in mind the things of God and not the things of men. Help us to see your wisdom and to grasp an eternal perspective as your disciples. Amen. If if you guys are anything at all like me, there'll be times when you feel really close to God, uh, times when you think, wow, I actually did okay there, yeah, in this certain circumstance and, 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 and the way that I did that, that wow, well, I think God might actually be proud of me for once, you know, in, in what I've done. And, and, but then there'll be other times, and it might only be the very next day or it might only be a few minutes later, where you feel miserable and dejected and ashamed where you feel, oh, I failed God again. Do you ever feel like that? Sometimes you're on the high, yep, I've done okay with God, and then other times, oh, man, how could I have been so stupid? You know, I might as well give up now. I'm never going to be any good as a Christian. I just love God's Word because the Bible is such an honest book. God's people are portrayed warts and all. You know how with the politicians and stuff, they have their spin doctors and they're trying to present their politicians as, you know, they're always squeaky clean and, and you know, they're the bee's knees and the ants' pants. Well, the Bible's nothing like that. They don't, the Bible doesn't try and airbrush the um, characters within the Bible to try and make them appear any better than they actually are. In fact, at times the Bible is brutally honest as it describes God's people. Even the disciples and even what we consider one of the chief disciples, the Apostle Peter, at one moment he can speak the very word of God but then the next time he opens his mouth out comes the words of the devil. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God and Jesus really encouraged us, ah, Peter, spot on, mate, that's the go. You're right, you're really blessed for knowing that. But then Jesus, as Jesus began to explain what it actually means for him to be the Christ, Peter's next words were, never Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus chastised him for saying that. And this honesty that we find in the Bible, well that gives me hope, um, that you and I are not the only ones who ever let God down. And I've got news for you. Uh, the last time the, that you let God down, well, that's not the last time. It's, it's going to happen again. But that's the amazing thing about God. He, in his grace and his mercy, every time you fail him, every time I fail him, he picks us up again. We learn from our sin and our failures. God forgives us and we keep following him. Don't ever give up on yourself. Because God hasn't given up on you. God didn't give up on Peter. Even when Peter denied Jesus at the night that he was betrayed, he still didn't give up on him. And God hasn't given up on you either. So you might have let yourself down. So you might have let God down. Pick yourself up again 
and keep following him because that's the way of the disciple. It's always been the way of the disciple and always will be the way of the disciple. You may be just as bad as Peter, so get on with it. So, why was Peter chastised? Well, it was because Peter was thinking in the way of men instead of the way that gods think. Peter was thinking of fleshly, temporary blessing rather than God's eternal purposes and God's eternal blessing. Let me explain this. The Gospel of Matthew is a very Jewish book of the Bible. It was written for the Jews. You might notice that as you read through the Gospels. They each seem to be a little bit different from each other. And in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see that it really encounters the the Jewish system a whole lot. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise for us because Jesus was actually a Jew. Um, Actually, he still is a Jew. Um, The fact that Jesus still bears the marks of the cross is a pretty fair indication. He still bears the marks of his circumcision as well. So, Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. Jesus came first for the Jews and we we are the latecomers as Gentiles. And the Jewish expectation of the Messiah, by the way, the words Christ and Messiah are interchangeable. One is from the Greek word Christos and the other from the Hebrew word Messiah. And their expectation of the Christ, of the Messiah, was that he would be a conquering king, that he would be someone who would come and set them free from their oppressors. That was their expectation. But Jesus Christ came to set them free from something much more sinister than the Romans. Jesus Christ came to set them free from sin and death. And rather than a crown of jewel-encrusted gold, the Christ came to wear a very different sort of crown. What crown was that? What crown did Jesus wear? Anyone know? Crown of thorns. Wasn't wasn't gold and jewels the crown that he came to wear? It was a crown of thorns. But Peter didn't know that. When Peter discovered that Jesus was the Christ, he would have thought, Woohoo! Here I am, I'm on the winning side. This is God's Messiah. Victory! Yay for us! God's blessing us right here, right now, we're on the winning side. All we've got to do is just follow Jesus and, and he's going to knock out the Romans and we're going to be blessed back in our own nation. And See, he was looking at, at immediate earthly blessings. And so when Jesus began to explain what it actually meant for him to be the Messiah, when Jesus started to actually dismantled the long-held image of what they believed the Messiah was going to be, when Jesus began to teach them that he was going to suffer and that he was going to die and then he would be raised back to life again, that's when Peter rebuked him. He said, never, it'll never happen to you. And this was Peter's human response. It wasn't God's response. And to be quite frank, there are churches today where if somebody was to say exactly what Jesus said, well, God's calling me to such and such a ministry and in this ministry I'm going to suffer a lot, 
I'm going I'm to lose all my possessions, I'm going to be poverty stricken um, and who knows, I'll probably even, my life will be at risk, I'll probably even die if I go and do this ministry. There are some churches out there where immediately somebody will, will jump up and say, I cut off those negative words in the name of Jesus and all of that negativity and I speak life and health and prosperity over this person and I rebuke all those negative words in the name of Jesus. Now, have you ever heard anything like that? Yeah? It happens. Well, that's pretty much what Peter was doing with Jesus. And what did Jesus think of that? Not a lot. Peter's response is the first example of what today we call prosperity theology. It's where somebody is seeking first health, wealth and a good life, where we're looking at what's in it for me now. Come to Jesus and all your troubles will be gone. Come to Jesus and you'll be safe. Come to Jesus and all your financial worries will be dealt with. Now that's a pretty appetising sort of a message. If I was to stand up here today and to preach that, you'd probably all go, oh yeah, yeah, bless me brother, bless me, bless me. That'd be great. Well it might be appetising, but what is it appealing to? It's not appealing to the spirit. It's appealing to the flesh. Jesus never promised us as Christians a bed of roses. He promised us a cross of nails. Yeah, that sort of teaching might be popular, but it's not godly. It's a lie. And if you build your faith on that, when your world comes crashing down, so will your faith. If you build your faith on that, next time you get a drought or a flood or a death of a child, your faith's just going to come crashing down. And most people's life experience will prove that teaching to be a lie. Jesus firmly rebuked Peter because of it. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block for me. You do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. Jesus can be brutally honest. He was brutally honest with his disciples that to follow him was not going to be the easy road. And I'm here today to say to you, Christianity, being a disciple of Jesus, is not something for the faint-hearted. If you are going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to be tough because this is not the easy road. Satan is against you, prevailing culture is against you, peer pressure is against you, your fleshly desires are against you, the values of the world are against you. It is not the easy road. And we've got to be honest about this. Why is it that so many people will go to some Christian event, um, an evangelism thing or, or, a, or a Christian concert or whatever it is, um, make a decision for Jesus and then in a very short time slip away from him? Well, I'll tell you what one of the reasons are. It's not the only reason. It's because nobody told them to expect hardship. Nobody told them to expect persecution. Nobody taught them that following Jesus is actually the tough road, a road which could even lead to their physical death. 
whenever I hear somebody give a testimony where, that goes something along the lines of when, when I came to Jesus all my troubles were over, I start to wonder which Jesus are you following? Because most people I know, when they start following Jesus, that's when the troubles begin. Well, certainly my experience and it's the experience of most Christians I know. I've got here a little video clip from the movie called The Mission. That movie then follows the story of another priest who then climbs back after this one had just been martyred, then climbs back up in... Yeah, uh uh-oh, he fell off the waterfall, didn't he? Uh Uh-oh. And goes back to those same people uh, with the gospel and um, basically he converts them. But then he, later on in the movie is martyred himself, this time by the Spanish because he's um, standing with the people when they're wanting to um, kill them. Yeah. But uh, why do they do that? Why do missionaries do that sort of stuff today? Why, why do missionaries leave their homes and their loved ones risking danger, risking their lives to tell other people about Jesus? Why do they choose to have a life of poverty, um, living on the smell of an oily rag instead of having a good job? Why do they choose to be away from all of the people who they love and their own culture that they're very much a part of? What about someone like me? Why would I choose to work part-time and bear the hardship of what I'm doing with Bush Disciples? It's not an easy road. What about you? Why would you choose to follow Jesus as his disciple? Why would you choose hardship and troubles? Why would you make Jesus your priority instead of your bank balance? Why would you be willing to appear strange and different in a world that rewards uniformity? Well, we do it because we've begun to understand God's wisdom. When you begin to see things from God's perspective rather than from the world's perspective, God turns everything upside down. Or it might seem that everything's upside down, but he turns actually everything the right way up. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Why? For for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If the most important thing to you today is your life right now, is enjoying everything that the world has to offer, then you'll miss out on what real life actually is, eternal life. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Now that all sounds upside down, but what I'm saying is this, even if your life is taken away, you haven't lost it because Christ gives us life that doesn't end. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Paul in 2 Corinthians describes it as as having a treasure in jars of clay. He talks about our earthly mortal bodies, us, our lives now, as being jars of clay, but we've got something very precious 
inside of us. There is some, something very precious that we carry with us. This treasure. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be revealed in our body. What Paul is saying is there's two things we can count on. We can count on God being with us and giving us hope and strength through whatever trials come against us. And the second thing we can count on is the resurrection. All this bad stuff and this tough stuff that might be getting thrown at us now but the reward is coming. Just as Christ who suffered and died was then raised, we too will also be raised. What this is, is is a real challenge for us to shift our mindset from thinking in the temporary fleshly experience to thinking about the eternal resurrected hope that we have. Now that's a, that's a tough thing to ask a mortal person to do, to shift your mindset from, from all of this temporary stuff that we live day by day and we seem to make the most important part of our day shifting it from that to having an eternal focus. God has blessed us with this huge blessing of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you realise just how big a blessing that is. Do you? It's enormous. The blessing of having faith in Jesus Christ is beyond what we could comprehend. What can you give in exchange for your soul? Nothing. You can't buy it, you can't barter it, you can't fill up your life with good works in exchange for it. It's a blessing from God. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Clive Palmer, Gina Reinhart, all combined wouldn't hope to have enough money to be able to to buy what we've been freely given from God. This life is short. Uh, the older you get, the shorter it seems. I know, I know when I was young, father, you sort of think that life, hey, that's just going to go on and on and on. Yeah, my life will probably end when I get to 30 or 40. Goodness me. How long's life been? Pretty long. All I want to do is get out of school, he says. So you know what? You might expect that life is going to be long and it might not be. You don't know that. Even if you've got another 80 years in front of you, that's a short time. Um, On God's clock, which is the clock of eternity, your human lifetime is like that. Probably shorter than that, but that's the fastest I can snap my fingers. Um, Jesus is returning. 
Peter expected that when the Messiah came, he would come as this victorious king. What Peter didn't realise is that Jesus has got two royal visits to earth on his schedule. The first time he came, he came as the suffering servant. But Jesus is coming back a second time. We don't know the day or the hour. Jesus didn't know the day or the hour. But when he comes this time, it will be very different to last time. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and with his angels... That'll be something to see, won't it? And don't worry, you're not going to miss it. Everyone will see it. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. What have you done? What are you doing? Are you living for this life or are you living for the next one? Are your values eternal values or are you just as caught up in today as what your neighbour is? See, as Christians, our very lives, people should be able to look at us and go, they're very different. Why are they different? Well, it's because I'm living for tomorrow. And that should make sense to them, to be able to see that. Do you desire what satisfies the spirit or what satisfies the flesh because they're two different things. When I was going to school, maths was my thing. Uh, I love maths, so I've created an equation. Here we go. Got an equation there for us. Discipleship equals present cost plus eternal reward. Right? It takes both of those. You, there is a present cost And there is also an eternal reward. Now the problem is most of us are very happy for discipleship to equal eternal reward. But there's something more to it. But wouldn't we be miserable if there was no eternal reward? Why would we do it? But it's because Christ calls us into this eternity that it makes sense. And that is why we choose to follow Jesus. The challenge for us is the biggest challenge that any of us can really face. You reckon the challenge might have been the drought? You reckon the challenge was the flood or cleaning up afterwards? I think the challenge is bringing up kids. Yeah, they're all challenges, but they're small compared with the challenge of shifting your thinking, of shifting your life, of shifting your philosophy, of shifting your experience to an eternal perspective. The challenge is to take up your cross and follow Jesus. The challenge is to put yourself out there, to get active as disciples of Jesus. Um, And it's tough. It's tough. And sometimes people aren't going to welcome what you're doing. Robin, I came home on Friday and Robin said, how's your day been? Um... I said, well, actually, not so good. Because the last couple of people that I... The next service this afternoon is out at Thallon. We're starting from scratch at Thallon. There's no one there um, that I know is going to be there. We might get out there and be on our own yet. Who knows? Um, But there's... And just as I knocked on doors... Just every now and then you'd get somebody, you know, as soon as you'd say that, you know, mention God or the Bible or church or anything, you'd just see a darkness come over their face and not interested. 
might come back. Shut the door in your face. And that sort of rejection and thinking, oh, what do they think of me now? And That doesn't matter. What does God think of you now? What does God think of you now? So how can we trust this eternity thing? How can we be sure that Jesus is coming back? Well, Jesus told his disciples that some of them would not taste death before they saw the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilled over this one, let me tell you, because they've obviously all died, haven't they? All of these disciples. So obviously Jesus couldn't have been talking about when he's finally coming back at the end. He says the son, that they would see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now that tells me that Jesus has already started coming into this world in his kingdom. And these disciples, they caught glimpses of that. Only six days after Peter, uh, Jesus roused on Peter, it was that they were at the transfiguration and they saw Christ in his glory. At the cross, they saw the coming of Christ in his kingdom. In the resurrection and the ascension, they saw the beginnings of the coming kingdom. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost, we could see again a new level of the Holy Spirit of breaking into this world, bringing in Christ's kingdom. So that the Holy Spirit can live in your life and my life. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the Lord Jesus Christ breaking into this world, breaking into your life, bringing his kingdom into being. Because your eternal life doesn't start at the resurrection. Your eternal life starts the day that you become his child. You're, you're in eternal life. And it is because Christ has already started breaking into this world with his kingdom that we can have every confidence that he is returning in glory and so we should be praying, Lord, hasten that day. So the question for us today is this. His kingdom is coming, but am I living for his kingdom? Am I living in expectation, always awaiting the coming King? Be bold. Live for Jesus. Share the good news of Jesus, never fearing the consequences because your eyes are fixed on eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do. We want to thank you for the huge blessing that it is to, to have faith in you. But Lord, we confess to you that, I'm thinking, of, I forget which prophet it is, but one of the prophets says, Woe is me, I'm a man of sinful lips who lives among a people of unclean lips. And Lord, that's like us. We just want to say, woe is us. We are people who, who seem to just live for the flesh. Who who live among a people who live in the flesh. We are a people who are living for today and way too often value what's going on today and in this life more so than things which are of eternal purpose. God forgive us. And Lord, 
we just want to ask you today that in your mercy and grace that you would do an amazing work in our life, that you would actually begin to transform us in a whole new way into a people who are living for eternity. Lord, everything that we do in our life give us this eternal perspective for your glory. Amen.